Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When most people think of Kentucky, what do they think of? Bourbon, horse races? KFC? All true, all fitting. But how about the largest cave system in the world? Even crazier is the history behind Mammoth Cave National Park, which is not only the longest cave on Earth by a long shot, but all the weird and wild different ways the cave has been used over the years. Yes, weird and wild is definitely an accurate description, and I can't wait to explore all of it in this week's episode on this Kentucky park. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Brad. This is Parklandia, a production of iHeartRadio. We packed up our loft in Chicago, moved into an RV, and now we're traveling the country exploring America's national parks with our dog, Finn. Today's episode is about Mammoth Cave National Park in southern Kentucky. History. Now, the first thing I want to talk about are these impressive stats. Mammoth Cave consists of more than 400 miles of mapped cave, making it the longest cave in the world, and it blows the competition straight out of the water. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to turn this thing into like a competition or anything, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. The second longest cave in the world is Sistema Sac Actum in Mexico, and it's nearly half the size of Mammoth Cave. Granted, still, a 200-something mile cave is nothing to sneeze at, but it's no mammoth cave. Yeah, and even more impressive is the fact that the geologists are discovering and mapping more miles there every single year. Um, They're estimating that there could be as much as 600 more miles yet to be discovered. That's crazy. I'm overwhelmed just thinking about that. Like, where does it end? Is the whole world just sitting above Mammoth Cave? Like, is it under us right now? I'm kind of of unnerved. (laughs) (laughs) Something um, this huge takes a long time to explore, no doubt about that. Um, But it all started a few thousand years ago when Native Americans in Kentucky discovered the area, and they started to explore the cave and and a search for, like, minerals. Right. So they were initially on the hunt for things like gypsum and mirabilite, and we know they maintained some presence here for at least a couple thousand years because of the artifacts and petroglyphs they left behind, including some primitive cloths and things like utensils. You know what else they left behind? What? 
their own skeletons. Don't don't do it. I'm going to remain calm right now, but <laughs> inside I'm I'm screaming. Yeah, due to That's the fact horrifying. that the caves like this, um, they maintain a consistent level of temperature about 54 degrees, and the constant humidity. It's like this prime environment preserving human bones and mummies. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, <laughs> is this like a Parklandy episode or an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Because I, don't know. I am afraid of the dark, and I'm afraid of skeletons, and this is terrifying. But after some 2,000 years of occupation and exploration, most Native Americans abandoned the caves. And I mean, I get it. I would, too, if there were, like, literal mummies strewn all over the place and pinned under rocks, like something out of a nightmare. Yeah, and another interesting mystery is that no one really knows what they were using these minerals for and why they were clearly so important for such a long time. Yeah, something tells me they weren't using the minerals to make mood rings or anything like that, especially since I assume the primary mood would just be constant fear, probably like a visceral, primal terror at all times. But that's just me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Crazily enough, the cave just sat pretty much empty and unexplored for a couple millennia before it was even discovered again by a hunter, John Hutchins. Mm -hmm. Um, As the story goes, he had... He had shot and injured a black bear, and that led him into the cave's entrance. Yeah, I, I definitely don't approve of the bear hunting, but otherwise, that that really is a fascinating story. It's like a violent fairy tale or something. I just love how Mammoth Cave in general has so much like mythical, scary, mis- like mysterious history attached to it. It's really kind of incredible. Yeah, then things really started to get even weirder and wilder. Um, humans started to use the caves for all different purposes. Yeah, they really did. Mammoth Cave actually played a role in the War of 1812, (laughs) shockingly enough. When British troops cut off gunpowder supplies in the east, Americans retreated to the huge cave to mine calcium nitrate and create their own gunpowder. And since there's basically a limitless supply of that stuff here, it enabled the American army to significantly increase their arms in the war. Which is wild. I mean, the Mammoth Cave like played a role in the War of 1812. Yeah, that's just absolutely insane. Guess what else mm-hmm. people use the cave for? Well, if I didn't actually know the answer to that, I, I would say something like Mummy Museum or like Subterranean Bourbon Distillery. But mm. I do know the answer to that. So I'm just going to point out that Mammoth Cave has been used as a church and even as a tuberculosis treatment center. Again, in, wild, weird, what the hell. Because can you imagine going to, like, a church in a cave or, like, getting medical treatment here? Like, oh, I'm going to go, like, get my shots, get my flu shots in Mammoth Cave. Yeah, but thank goodness, like, unsurprisingly, neither of these things lasted very long here. Right, which makes sense because they're both absolutely crazy uses for a 400-mile-long cave. Yeah, ultimately, though, something that did catch on um, and stick was tourism. Uh, For various reasons over the years, the public was hearing more and more about this enormous cave system and curiosity was building. Cave tours started in 1816, and they've stunningly been occurring over and over again ever since, even through the Civil War. Yep, priorities, apparently. So even though the fate of the country was dangling by a thread, people were still interested in Touring Mammoth Cave, which I fully understand. It's an alluring underground world. Yeah, it's also the same time that, like, early cave tour guides like Stephen Bishop explored and named different portions of the cave, like the Mammoth Dome and Gorin's Dome. He even uh, described the cave as a grand, gloomy, and peculiar place. Yeah, which is a perfect description and pretty on the nose. (laughs) And then Stephen's great nephew, Ed Bishop, who kind of continued the family legacy, 
he joined up with a man named Max Camper to formally map out more parts of the cave in 1908, discovering and naming things like Violet City and Elizabeth's Dome, both of which sound kind of lovely. Absolutely. It's so beautiful. I mean, clearly Mm -hmm, tourism was like ramping up quickly. And by 1920, the cave had several thousand annual visitors flocking from near and far. I mean, it's just such an amazing thing to this think of big. because it, caves this big just didn't exist. Uh, no. So it became such a tourism magnet that money-hungry locals wanted to get in on the action and find their own new sections of the cave to monetize it. Yeah, which sadly is not surprising that people were doing this then and chomping at the bit to turn Mammoth Cave into a cash grab. I mean, that's America. Yeah, so here we are. And then you have people like George Morrison at the time who used dynamite to blow out what he, he, what he called the new entrance or this poor fellow named Floyd Collins who got himself stuck while exploring a portion of cave and wound up dying down there after 17 days, mm. which is horrific. What a nightmare. It's like an Are You Afraid of the Dark story that just never ends. Yeah, fortunately, though, all this greed and tourism and the death is what urged the federal government to protect the cave and make it a national park. Not only to protect the land, but to protect these, like, swarms of people who have been recklessly exploring and putting themselves at risk and in danger, like, and possibly ruining the cave. Yeah, ruining the cave, ruining, I mean, your your life. Apparently, like Floyd Collins getting himself stuck. That's crazy. It reminds me of that movie, um, James Franco movie. What was it? Right? Oh, or the whatever. one where he had to like cut he off his, like, own cut arm? his own arm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that, except Floyd didn't survive. But <laughs> thank God someone eventually intervened because we don't want Mammoth Cave turning into a 400-mile sarcophagus. Yikes. Yeah, this led Mammoth Cave officially becoming a national park in 1941. Um, At that time, there were only like 40 known miles in the cave, uh, give or take. And so that just goes to show you the incredible work and safe discovery that can occur when it's in the right hands. Absolutely. Geologists were able to discover that there were actually several cave systems that wind up all being connected. And when they're all pieced together, that's how we got the hundreds of known miles that we have today. And even though the miles are seemingly endless, there are really only 14 of them that are accessible for tours today. But that's the reality. For the best um, and for the worst, the safety of the visitors, that's what's the most important. You don't want to end up as, like, skeletons down there. Mm, No, no, that's not what this place should be. And I'm going to go scream into a pillow now. Mammoth Cave holds a very special place in our nomadic hearts. Um, It's actually the very first national park we visited when we got an RV. Yeah, that's very true. Before this, my heart really wasn't a nomadic heart, but I think Mammoth Cave kind of triggered that. And this was our first foray into the RV lifestyle and like nomadic living and all that. So it was our very first RV trip in general. We had freshly purchased our RV in Indiana. It was... August, we were down there for a weekend and then rode it down to Mammoth Cave to kind of christen it and make it all feel official. And what better way to do that than by going to a national park? Yeah, I mean, it was just a fantastic little journey driving down there. And the first place we had to pick was a KOA. I mean, Duh, yeah. I just like we love them. Um, so near, uh, it was right near Mammoth Cave, and we stayed there for a couple of days because mm-hmm. we knew it would be easy to, like, visit the park. And then, of course, some other things like 
bourbon distilleries? Yeah, so that that was a priority. We wanted to be close to a national park and also just kind of surrounded by bourbon. And it it worked out really well, and that was a great weekend. They're both perfect. We also went kind of mistakenly to a Kentucky winery. Can we not get into that? Yeah. No. I, this is <laughs> Kentucky's great at, at bourbon, and t- those are totally worthwhile, and there are so many wonderful distilleries, but this is not Napa Valley by any means, so let's skim right by that. <laughs> yeah, so we stayed at this like amazing KOA. Um, yeah. It had a great mini golf course and one of those giant little bouncy pillows. Like It's basically like an inflated like trampoline. That's what it is. It's like a huge, gigantic earth marshmallow or something. And they're probably meant for kids, but I totally got into it. And I had a blast. Like, you took photos of me, and I don't... I've never been that happy, like, as an adult. <laughs> yeah. I was just bouncing up and down, getting some serious, like, elevation or whatever you call that when you're bouncing. I just really love that you called it an earth marshmallow. It's an earth marshmallow. <laughs> <laughs> That's the technical term like, for these things. Is, okay. Yeah. We'll go with that. Um, so that was that was a great time. And then right next to that was a basketball court where we, I think we got basketballs from the camp, like the store or something that they let us borrow. And then we played horse. Mm, love yeah. horse. Love it. So we, we got really sporty, like a lot sportier than we usually do, which yeah, is usually about zero. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was really fun. And it was the first weekend staying in the RV, so it was really special. And we had Finn with us, of course, and he got comfortable in it real quick, which was a huge relief, honestly. Yeah, he got comfy and cozy shockingly fast, and he did really well. I was, like, super nervous. This was probably one of my biggest, like, anxieties going into it was just worrying about Finn and how, like, potentially anxious and scared and squirmy he would be because, like, when we were in the loft in Chicago, he would do that frequently. Like, even when it started to drizzle rain outside, he would freak out. So going into the RV, I'm like, ugh, he's going to be, like, constant meltdowns. And then I would—it would just reflect on me. Just like his father? Which would doubly annoy you. Yeah, right. (laughs) So we're the same. And you would be dealing with both of us, two neurotic messes next to you. But he calmed down really quick and then— it was much better for both of us. Although, honestly, I was still kind of freaking out from buying the RV. And I'm, I'm still freaking out a little bit, like a year and a half later. So Yeah, I mean, it really did happen fast. You know, one week yeah. we're talking about buying an RV and selling our loft in Chicago. The next thing you know, I'm calling Matt, telling him how much we owe for a down deposit. And, you know, it's just one of those crazy mm-hmm. times where it's just a whirlwind. And I just, we're kind of like compulsive. So we just jump into things and we just dive into it and we do it. And yeah. this is one of those cases where it was like the biggest compulsive thing, thing that we've ever done together or oh, separate. Yeah, by far, <laughs> yeah. Because I, I guess I am kind of compulsive, but I do freak out about it. Obviously, though, it, it did work out for the best. And the fact that we were able to celebrate this huge new chapter together by visiting a national park made it all much easier. Yeah, and we'll definitely talk more in depth about our RV experience later in the episode. But uh, mm-hmm. I think we need to explore the cave. Oh, yeah, of course. Cave. So, obviously, cave tours are the thing to do here, and we made sure to book our tour reservations online in advance, which cost a small fee, nothing nothing major, and highly recommend that you do this in advance, especially in the summer months, like when we went, because it was quite crowded. There was long lines in the visitor center to either purchase tickets or pick up tickets that you had reserved in advance. 
Yeah, I'm definitely glad we did because, like, yeah. it was definitely at capacity. I mean, it was a pretty long line in the visitor center just to oh, yeah. get our tickets. And I know. they were like, if you're for the 1130 um, a.m. showing of the ca- this cave tour, step up front, and then you'd like, have to, like, wiggle your way through because mm, yeah. like, we were getting so close to the time that we had to jump on the bus to go over there. I just remember it was, like, really intense. It was, yeah, m- much more so than I thought it would be. I was a little stressed, and I was afraid that, like, we might wind up in the wrong, wrong line or, like— go towards the wrong bus or something because there was a lot of like moving parts here and I'm like oh I, I don't know yeah and it was like again one of our first uh not our first national park no. together but like this first whole experience and yes. your your normal ability to like problem solve is kind of shocked when you're first getting into RV lifestyle because at least for us because we never camped in an RV no, and we didn't. did it like no. you? You did a like a family trip. Yeah, I was like twelve. Um, but that doesn't really count because you didn't do anything in there and like to like no. help hook up or anything. So it was just a whole new experience, and we we're just off and always running behind. Mm-hmm. But it was a fun time. Yeah, all these adjustments and crammed into this like one like inaugural weekend. But it all it was all great. Mammoth Cave was a lot of fun. So the tour that we did was the Domes and Dripstones tour, which, as you might expect, is filled with domes and dripstones. Spoiler alert. And as with most cave formations here, they're made by water slowly trickling in from the surface and mixing with carbon dioxide. The latter has the ability to dissolve limestone, and over time, like lots of time, thousands and thousands of years, they create these lavish-looking cave structures, like gnarly stalagmites and stalactites that seemingly dangle from the cave ceiling. Sometimes stalactites come in such clusters that they resemble frozen waterfalls, like with the popular formation here called Frozen Niagara, which I love. Oh, yeah. And for the domes and dripstone tour, we boarded uh, this green-colored school bus Mm -hmm. to get there from the visitor center, driving along some small roads into the woods where the tour begins through a door that looks like it just disappears into the forest. And the thing I loved about this is just like it, it was dreaming. It was, yeah. Uh, or it could have been terrifying. You know, it could mm-hmm. be the beginning of a, are you afraid of the dark? Right. Because, sorry, spoiler alert, they do turn <laughs> off all the lights in the caves. They do, yeah. So it gets dark, and I was a little afraid. But that was that was great. I like that we did the tour where, like, we all boarded into this bus and had this, like, communal experience, in a sense. And I haven't been on a school bus in, I don't know, I was, like, 17. No, less than that <laughs> because I was driving when I was 16. So it's been a long time, and it was it was fun. There was like this kind of nostalgic vibe happening as we we're winding our way up towards the the start of the tour, and adding to the kind of mysticism of all of this whole experience was it was rainy and kind of a gloomy, dreary day. But I think it added to it. And the forest that we had to walk through a little bit to get to the entryway was like super thick, super lush and green. So walking through it to get to the door was just stunning in and of itself. I could have explored that section and, like, not even gone underground or would have been like, this is great. Um, but the, there's this door that is kind of in the middle of the woods, seemingly. Like, it kind of emerges out of nowhere. And you all go single file into this door and then down a set of steep stairs. So, heads up, not ideal for people with a fear of enclosed spaces, heights, or darkness. Just all of the fears. All of the fears. Mm -hmm. Uh, The tricky thing with a group tour of this size is that the guide is way in front of you usually. So you have to follow through a long, narrow line before meeting up to regroup and learn more about the cave once you can all see the guide. And, you know, the guide's telling you things 
while you're walking. Right. And you're missing them because you're in the back. And it's like, yeah. man, you really need to like, try to get up to that front. But we're more of like the back settlers. Like, yeah. We like to allow everyone else. We like people watching. So We do. And you were like, like talking that. a little bit with some people in front of you or behind you, making yeah. friends in the cave. cave yeah, of friends. course. And, you know, the thing about this, like the good thing is the guide will meet up with you over and over again. It happens several yes. times, especially during this tour. So you don't miss too much, and he will go over things that he was telling on the way, but um, get yeah. up there close. Bear in mind, yeah, if you're the type of person who like wants constant you know, like little tidbits of information and just maybe the comfort of being close to a guide or, or whatever, you might want to like make sure that you're towards the front, you know, or just yeah. factor that in. It was fun, though, and we could convene, like, in these massive amphitheater-like spaces periodically where the guide would point out different formations and the thousands of years it took for water to create it drip by drip. By drip. By drip. Mm-hmm. There were some fun and cute formations that he pointed out, too, like something on the cave ceilings that he said resembles an upside-down dollhouse. Yeah. I like that, although, like, that's not something I would have— envisioned myself if he didn't point that out because it's so specific. I'm like, oh, sure, that does look like an upside-down dollhouse glued to the ceiling. But now it's like burned into my memory, and it's one of my favorite things that we saw there. It's cute. And another super cool aspect of Mammoth Cave are the underground waterways, something we've never seen before in a cave or something I didn't even realize was actually like a real thing. I've seen like little kind of mini cave pools in other caves like Carlsbad Caverns, but not like actual waterways. But at Mammoth Cave, there are sections here called things like the Dead Sea and the River Styx, both fittingly ominous, which run alongside some motionless waterways. They're so still and dark that you almost don't even notice their water. And another surprising fact is that these waterways are actually home to animals, specifically shrimp, Kentucky cave shrimp, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, these definitely aren't the kind of shrimp that you're used to seeing, though. Um, they're albino and eyeless, and they only live in the deepest regions of the cave. Right. So you're not going to see these in a shrimp cocktail anytime soon. No. no. <laughs> and I feel like I'm actually glad we didn't see any because they sound really creepy. I don't want to, like, pass judgment. I'm sure they're, like, fine, docile animals, but they sound horrific. And I'd rather just learn about them and respect them from afar, like from the comforts of the Earth's surface where things aren't pitch black and eerily quiet. Yeah, absolutely. And a really cool fun fact mm-hmm. about them is like the reason they're eyeless is because they live in a cave. Don't need their eyes. <laughs> they yeah, don't need right. their eyes. <laughs> like it's always dark. Useless. So that's how they like adapt to like adapted to their surroundings. Mm -hmm. But back on the tour, the domes and dripstones take about like two hours and set aside from the narrow, like dimly lit steps. It's pretty easy Mm -hmm. to do. But if you're looking for something even easier and less intimidating, try the frozen Niagara tour, which is a little over uh, an hour and it's just like a less deep underground. Right. Yeah, that that one's much um, easier and more straightforward and takes you to one of these most iconic sites or cave formations in the park. Or if you're looking to go in the opposite direction and amp up your adrenaline, the Wild Cave Tour could be for you. It sounds terrifying to me, but I'm also a little intrigued since it requires some serious spelunking over the course of six hours. Jesus. It's pretty hardcore, and it's very (laughs) hands-on. There are lots of dark, tight spaces to squeeze through. It's uh, worth noting that all participants must be... 16 years old and meet a size requirement, you know, mm-hmm. you can actually like make sure you can fit through the tiny spaces like in the beginning, like the little, they have yes. like little right. 
like box demonstration, sort of like a box, yeah, yeah. A box, yeah, right. to make sure that you can do it. Yeah, because you don't want to be down in the cave and be like, oh, JK, I can't fit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even even like knowing that I could fit, I, I think I would still be horrified. So I'm not sure if I could pull the trigger on this and actually do something like the wild cave tour. But I did actually go spelunking in a cave in Barbados not too long ago. So I know I I could do it. Granted, like the spelunking thing was kind of sprung on me. I didn't know like the cave tour I did in Barbados included that. So that was a bit of a surprise, unsettling surprise when suddenly I was doing that. Um, and also that tour wasn't six hours long, so it's a little more doable. Yeah, but that would be uh, like a really an epic adventure, though. It would. I think it would be fun to do, like a national park bucket list experience at Mammoth Cave, at the, at the world's largest cave. You are listening to Parklandia from iHeartRadio. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Brad. This is Parklandia. And today's episode is on Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky, where we're talking more about cave tours that you can do here. Most cave tours at Mammoth Cave actually start out the old-fashioned way, at the historic entrance by the visitor center. This is where the earliest Native Americans first entered the cave, and it's where visitors still enter the cave for tours of sections like Gothic Avenue, Star Chamber, Trog, which sounds like a, a ride at Disney or something, <laughs> Violet City, and River Styx. And that's S-T-Y-X, by the way, as in the underground river from Greek mythology, like 
to get to the underworld. And yes. I'm, I think it's perfect here. It really is. And the historic entrance is a great way to experience the park, just like the natural entrance at Carlsbad Caverns. Um, it's amazing to slowly descend beneath the Earth's surface and feel like things are gradually getting dark around you. It's, like, darker mm-hmm. and darker. And, of course, they have these, like, lanterns along the way to prevent you from, like, crashing into things or falling into the bottomless pits. <laughs> but, you know, it feels natural. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the best way to experience a cave for sure. But there's actually a lot more to explore in Mammoth Cave beyond the actual cave itself, surprisingly enough. Trails. Yeah, it's a little-known fact that Mammoth Cave actually has about 80 miles of hiking trails on the surface, um, all through this beautiful terrain like forests, rolling hills, and the Green River Valley. Yeah, that's a lot of hiking trails. And I had no idea. I know you didn't know about this. And I think most, most people don't because... Of the half a million annual visitors that come to Mammoth Cave, two-thirds of them focus only on cave tours and don't do anything on the surface whatsoever. They come here for one thing and one thing only, and I think that's obviously understandable. But, you know, it feels like there's basically a whole other park up here on the surface. It's just so serene and beautiful. And another fun fact that was convenient for us was it's super dog-friendly. It really was. Like, crazy. Who'd have thunk? I actually wrote an article about this a few years ago, so it was like fresh in my memory when we were coming here, about how Mammoth Cave is one of the most dog-friendly national parks in the country. They obviously can't go into the cave itself, but if they're leashed, you can take them on pretty much all the surface trails. Yeah, we went for a little hike with Finn on the Sand Cave Trail, making uh, Mammoth Cave's Finn's first official national park. That was a big deal. Big moment for him and for, for us as his parents, yeah. And it was, I think the Sand Cave Trail was also the perfect trail for him because it's short and easy, and it's all on this even boardwalk through this gorgeous forest filled with tall trees and flowers and just, like, super chill, relaxing, and peaceful. We're the only ones on it when we did it, which is great. And it ends by the entrance to Sand Cave where that poor guy, Floyd, Floyd Collins, got stuck and died. So you learn a lot more about that and then other, like, sand cave tidbits along the way. There's signs that are well-marked. So it's great. Oh, yeah. It's very important. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, it's a national park, right? you got all that great things. Mammoth Cave is just filled with creepy and dark history all over the place, though. Either literally dark mm-hmm. or dark in other ways, like Floyd. Right. So it, it's kind of a funny juxtaposition because, like, we're in this forest that's, like, so quiet and calming, almost, like, zen-like. And then all of a sudden here's a sign. It's like, oh, here's where someone died. You're like, oh, okay. The caves have eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and, like, it's it's kind of nice to be reminded of that, of that, I guess, in the history and all the people who um, have been here and experienced it in different ways, some less fortunate than us, like Floyd. But even though I was definitely happy-go-lucky while taking Finn on his first national park hike and setting up the camera to pose for our first family photo by the national park sign, it was such a beautiful moment. Yeah, it was such a beautiful moment. And there's just so many other hiking options as well. I mean, more on the north side of the Green River. Um, and you can only get there with the Green River Ferry, which drops you off at the Maple Springs Group Campground, where a lot of trailheads are. Um, it's worth the extra effort, though, because it's the side of the park that has a lot less visitors. So it's great for finding more quiet and, like, serenity in the woods. Right, exactly. And unlike... The river sticks underground. The Green River won't 
bring you to Hades Underworld. So that's that's a plus. That's definitely a plus. Right. So if you're going to stick to the south side of the Green River, though, which is by the Visitor Center, one trail that you need to hike, I think, is the River Styx Spring Trail. So obviously you're above ground you're, this whole time. It goes right by the historic entrance. So you can see what that looks like and snap a few pictures, which I think you should absolutely do because it's phenomenal. And then it follows the river sticks where it exits the cave, and that eventually flows into the Green River. Altogether, it's only about like a half mile total, which is super easy and almost entirely flat, but it packs a lot of cool sights into a short length. So if you only have time for like one surface trail, I think this is... A, a really good option. Yeah, and speaking of rivers, though, uh, another thing that most people don't realize about Mammoth Cave is that it's the perfect park for paddling. Uh, the park doesn't actually rent kayaks or canoes or host paddling tours, but there are plenty of local outfitters that you can, like, get with, and mm-hmm. they'll do that with you. And the Green River is a great, easy trip for a leisurely float through out this, like, gorgeous forest oh, yeah. and along the trees lined. It's Kentucky. I mean, it is beautiful. Here we are. It's yeah. a great place. Um, but all in all, like the the Green River flows through the park for about twenty five miles, so there's plenty of waterways to explore here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to do that. We didn't do that while we we're here, and I don't think we understood just how much opportunity there was here for paddling. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize that as well. But it it's it sounds great. It's super intriguing. And my, also, my favorite thing about the Green River is that it's lined with a bunch of sandbars and these kind of rocky little islands. So tons of places along the way that you could stop and relax and like have lunch and just kind of chill out and dip your feet in the water. It's It sounds perfectly quiet and relaxing. Swimming is not recommended though because the river tends to be kind of strong and super unpredictable, but that's that's fine. It's still like very relaxing and scenic. And you can also go fishing if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, you won't catch any of those Kentucky cave shrimp, but the mm-hmm. Green and Nolan Rivers have plenty of catfish and perch and bass. Yeah, and in terms of other wildlife beyond fish and cave shrimp, Mammoth Cave National Park also has animals like beavers, coyotes, bald eagles, herons, mink, and skunks, but most of which you probably won't see. They're pretty elusive and rare. We ser- we didn't see, uh, like, any of these. No, but there's plenty to marvel at within this, like, nature-filled park. Um, this park is located at a geographic part of the country where the cooler north meets the warmer south. It has a huge mm-hmm. array of different flowers and grasses and biodiversity in general. Yeah, right. It's like the best of both worlds or best of both, you know, parts of the country, I guess. This place really is just bursting with surprises, Mammoth Cave, like paddling, surface trails, blind shrimp. There's so much here, both beneath the ground and above it. So much. Food. Now that we've explored Mammoth Cave from the underground and the surface, let's talk about another one of my favorite Kentucky activities. Drinking bourbon. Yes. You, uh, yeah, you can't, like, not go to a distillery when you're in Kentucky, especially when you're this close to Kentucky bourbon country. And for us, like, we love bourbon. We always have a st- supply of it in the RV. It's a, a big priority. And I remember while we were here, we were trying to visit a couple of the, the big ones, like the iconic distilleries, like Jim Beam, after our cave tour. But for some reason, most distilleries here have super limited hours that end, like, weirdly early afternoon, like 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. or something, which is crazy. Like, what? Why are people doing distillery tours at, like, noon? Yeah, right. 
But luckily, we were able to visit uh, Bardstown Bourbon Company in Bardstown, Kentucky. Uh, it's one of the newer distilleries in the area, and it was beautiful and quite modern looking. Very modern looking. It looked like a sleek contemporary lab or something from the outside and huge, like in the middle of this like big field. And inside was just as beautiful. We didn't do any distillery tour or anything like that, but we did get drinks and food at the distillery's restaurant, which is called Bottle and Bond Kitchen and Bar. Appropriate. I like it. Yeah. It was so cool. Um, you can see into the main distillery through the wall uh, while you're drinking. Um, it was literally perfect, and the cocktails were amazing. Yeah, we were really happy there. I don't really like just sipping bourbon by itself necessarily. That's not like my go-to, so I'd much rather taste it this way, like in a cocktail. And the bartenders here were really, really good and clearly very creative. They have things like barrel-aged Old Fashions and barrel-aged Manhattans and mules with Thai basil and other fun things like the Stay Gold cocktail, which has bourbon, honey, lemon, turmeric, and Moroccan spices. And I, as someone, like, i obsessed with turmeric, so I'm fully in with that. They even had, like, a few uh, tiki cocktails, which is a huge surprise because um, we love our tiki drinks, and so this was perfect for us. Um, I think we shared the Kentucky Sling, which was has this, like, rye, whiskey, gin, pineapple, mm-hmm. cherry herring, and Benedictine, served in a fun little tiki mug, of course. We can't say no to a good tiki drink, especially in a bourbon distillery, which is, again, a very pleasant surprise. It really was. I mean— you know, another surprise was was those like glazed Brussels sprouts with blue cheese oh and God. like chicken fried oysters, yeah. and then they had like sweet potato gnocchi. You love that. I, I mean, I do too. And this is like our ideal scenario: just like sitting, dining, and drinking at the bar, talking with the bartender, learning snacking, more about yeah, sipping. snacking, <laughs> sipping, and it, it was just a great way to wind down our day in Kentucky. RV. And now we definitely got to talk more about our RV experience here since this was our first foray into life on the road. A lot of learning curves. Lots of them. Um, luckily, we're going to have um, like an episode in the future, uh, Boondocking with Brad, that's going to be talking about the essentials, which will be about most of our unexpected things that we had to get on our first trip. Um, but we definitely didn't have a dump hose, so we had to go get our dump hose. We, the, oh my gosh, there was like the water hose, which was an issue because like I got the wrong kinds. Like I, I didn't Oops. think there was a wrong kind. Um, but I had to mm-hmm. learn it all to hook up. Like I, the organizing it, um, there's like leveling box and all these different things that I didn't think about. Because I'm like, um, we got yeah. an RV. They give you everything. They don't. Spoiler I didn't see, but, and like this shows how oblivious I was. Like I'm learning all this for the first time, like right now. Like I didn't, I don't even remember you doing this. Yeah, because <laughs> I actually had to go to the store, and I went to this hardware store, and it was like right next to like a, a little grocery store too. And it was interesting because I'm like, okay, well I'll just grab some snacks for dinner or whatever. Like totally. So I go in there, I get my hose, my dump hose, all these things, and then I go out and I go to the grocery store, and then I'm coming out, and I remember walking to my RV. And all of a sudden, I see Amish people in a minivan. So, like, they, you know, some people can drive and everything like that. And all of a sudden, there's this, like, little kid, 10, 11 years old. And he has the bowl cut, you know. Oh, yeah. um, Iconic. Yeah, iconic Amish um, culture. And I'm coming through with, like, wearing a sweater with my, like, 
sleeves pushed up and my tattoos showing and in shorts. And then I'm like getting into my RV with the dog. And I'm like looking at this kid and he's looking at me and we're just like staring at each other because we're just like lost like in like uh-huh. this cultural difference. Like it was like the first time I think I might have seen Amish in person. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, probably the first time he saw like a tattooed guy getting in a RV with a little dog, like sitting on his lap while driving. <laughs> so you, I mean, it was definitely one of those yeah. like cultural experiences that was just like, I want to learn more uh, yeah. because I just, you know, I'm not that I'm ignorant to it. I just I, the Amish have always been like a fairy tale, I guess, to me, and that's just not not now, but they were um, at that point. And since then, I've like familiarized myself with more of their culture and things like that. But it was just yeah. a really one of those experiences where I'm like, I'm going to love the road. Like, we're going to oh meet boy. so right. many crazy people. Things are getting crazy. Yeah. You were probably like a fairy tale to him, like a yeah. heavily tattooed, like oh, city man. person with right. a mini dachshund in an RV. He didn't. He didn't even see me. That would have thrown for a loop. It's like, oh, you're. Are you married to a a man? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I think I left you at the RV park. Uh, I didn't remember I that. This I, whole period yeah. of that weekend was a blur. I don't know what I was doing. It was really tough. I was sitting. I was just like sitting at a picnic table at an empty RV spot. I think. Yeah. Oh, you were working on oh, a computer. Right. Mm-hmm. Wi Fi. And the the one part I do remember about like the RV in our first like night or two was maybe you, I think while you were out, you also bought a DVD, Ready Player One, that like yes, um, I did. Steven Spielberg movie. That came Such out a good years. movie. That was mind blowing. I It was long. I remember being kind of exhausted. It was like two and a half hours, but beautiful. And we, the uh, RV has a DVD player in it. Didn't, I think it came with it. Did it yeah, come with it did it? came with it. So yeah, we, our first entertainment activity in there was watching Red Player One, having like snacks, popcorn, something. And realizing for the first time we had no RV Wi Fi. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We're like, oh, this is going to be a big issue. <laughs> so we um, have to address that, nip that in the bud right away. But we, we it's been <laughs> much smoother ever since. You are listening to Parklandia from iHeartRadio. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Brad. This is Parklandia. And today we're talking about Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky. Ecology. I'm really excited to talk about cave ecology. Me too. There's a lot here. so fascinating and so much to impact. But it's more about like how these um, work within their environments, like these different animals and some have to live in the cave, some don't. There's a lot to go over. Because uh, Mammoth Cave National Park involves a cave system and it's the world's largest, Mm -hmm. animals in this park are sorted into like cave dwellers, surface dwellers, and those that live in the in-between. The cave ecosystems are very delicate. All the energy that feeds a cave comes from the surface. And anything that stops this flow of nutrients into the cave can mean like extinction for the animals that live there. So as you can imagine, populations of the cave dwelling species are never very large. Right, yeah. And it's definitely very delicate, this ecosystem. For instance, agriculture around Mammoth Cave has put the ecology of the cave system in danger, particularly for the Kentucky cave shrimp, which is particularly vulnerable to fertilizers and other water contaminants that make their way into the cave via surface water. Whole populations of Kentucky cave shrimp have crashed due to water pollution starting at the surface. Isn't that crazy? Just like what we do has impact on the animals. I mean, I know what a crazy concept. Trickles huh? all the way down to these poor, helpless, blind shrimp. Hmm. They're very delicate. They really are. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the cave ecosystem is really threatened by the overuse by tourists as well. Um, the lighting, trail constructions, the building of unnatural cave entrances, and the excessive noise from the caves during tours are even very stressful for animals. Uh, so us, as tourists, yeah. you know, we can bring in a lot of, like, spores from, like, white nose syndrome for bats, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about more in Episode 8. But it's all contributing to the steep decline in bat populations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this also speaks more to the delicate balance of how great it is that people visit Mammoth Cave and are interested in it, but also how fragile an ecosystem like this is and how you need to be mindful of that, especially with little things like excessive noise, like just... Whispering goes a long way. <laughs> you know, you don't need to be shouting or, like, cracking jokes or, you know, going in big groups and all, like, hemming and hawing the whole time or whatever. But it's it's great to visit this place. Just do it in a respectful way as much as possible. Absolutely. So to explore more of the animals at Mammoth Cave, none of which we saw, but all of which we are fascinated by and respect. (laughs) There are three categories of animals that use the cave. What are those three categories? Oh, I'll tell you. So the first one is called troglobites, and troglobites are 
animals that are especially evolved for living their entire lives in a cave. These animals are often small and sort of ghostly looking, sightless, with slow metabolism since food is scarce in the cave. Most famous of troglobites, of course, are the endangered Kentucky cave shrimp. There's also two kinds of eyeless fish and cave salamander and even a blind crayfish. So, And these are blind because they live in the caves. Like they don't come out of it. And again, Never, yeah. I know we said this earlier in the um, episode, but they don't need sight. Mm-hmm. They never um, see light in any capacity. Yeah. Believe and it or not. Then there's like traglophiles. These organisms might prefer cave life to surface life, Mm -hmm. uh, but they could honestly spend their time in either place. They don't have to live in the cave for any portion of their lives. Um, Some examples of these in mammoth are like the salamanders, crayfish, spiders, and springfish. Right. Yeah, exactly. So they're kind of like almost the equivalent of like an amphibian or something that could live in like water, land, and they have options and come and go as they please. And then the third category is troglozines. And troglos is the Greek word for cave, and xenos is the Greek word for guest. So these animals are cave visitors. And most notably, there are 12 species of bats that use the cave system here, including Indiana bats, gray bats, and big brown bats, to name a few. But two species are endangered now, and the number of the rest of the species are declining, sadly. Because troglozines are important to the ecology of the cave, because they bring nutrients in from the surface, and because Mammoth Cave's bat populations are suffering, the cave dwellers can no longer depend on bat guano for food and now rely on other troglozines like cave crickets and pack rats to bring energy in the form of carcasses, droppings, and eggs from the surface. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So what would, like, Finn be classified as? Mm, Would he be a troglophile? Um... Like could live in I there. Guess. I mean, I, mean, I, I, could, be, yeah, I could be a troglophile. <laughs> I'd rather not. Yeah, because I had you know I just want to talk about my favorite animals and sure. and I'm just really thinking about those like three things to bring. Um, oh, now and, that we're on the subject of the number three, yeah, yeah. yeah. My favorite three things to bring. One okay. would be Finn and our dogs. Yes, to Mammoth Cave, I think. Like we said, it's a surprisingly dog-friendly park. So if you have a dog, please bring him or her along. Also bring a leash so that they can actually enjoy the trails with you. Because they and can't, it always they can't has to be a six-foot leash. Yes. And there's reasons behind like that. Like maximum, yeah. So do not mess with it. <laughs> six-foot right. leash. Every national park, it's the same thing yeah. across the country. Right, right. And guarantee your dog will love this park as much as Finn did. Um, Some more stuff to bring, or a couple more things to bring to Mammoth Cave. One important item is sturdy walking and or like hiking shoes, especially when you're going down into the cave because things can get steep, narrow, craggy, and most notably quite dark. So even if things are lit or you're holding a lantern or something, this is a much darker place than the surface, so you're going to want shoes that won't be slipping and sliding over things potentially. And then also while you're in the cave, you should bring a jacket or sweater or sweatshirt or something like that. No matter what the temperature is on the surface, whether it's scorching hot or it's like 35 degrees, it's almost constantly 54 degrees in the cave, which I think sounds kind of comfortable. That's like sweater weather. So just go in knowing that you don't want to be like 
in a tank top because it's hot on the surface, then go down and you're like, oops, I'm cold. <laughs> I'm going to drop this on you. I want to know what okay. your favorite part of Mammoth Cave was. I mean, <sighs> I'm truly fascinated. There's so much that we've gone over so, so much, much. Um, just of what we talked about, but then there's things that we missed. But like, what was your favorite thing from Mammoth Caves? Mm. I think my favorite thing was, and I hope I'm not stealing this from you because I feel like that might be the case, but was when we got to do that little trail with Finn and that whole experience, taking a photo with him at the National Park sign. Because we always do photos together at National Park signs, wherever, whichever park we're at. And it was really special and exciting to do that with Finn for the first time, even though he was not cooperating and did not. No, look there at the was camera. just too much to look at. I mean, I'm sure, obviously, yeah. like, he's I understand. Like, what? Beauty. Mm-hmm. All around. Yeah, he's not... Yeah, he doesn't notice the camera at all, and that's fine. He, it was a great family photo nonetheless, and he loved the trail. I thought it was the perfect length for him, yeah. and nice and flat, and just... I was so happy, and I, I loved doing that all together. What about you? What was your favorite part? I know this is weird, but, like, honestly, finding out about eyeless shrimp. That's not... I mean... It, it is weird. But. The, like learning about the ecology and the wildlife here, um, even the differences between the like uh, tragalazines versus tragalophiles versus with, yes. like tragalobites. Yeah. Like, you know, that was really interesting to understand. Yeah. The cave ecosystem is really deep, like also literally deep. There are animals living underground here, deep underground. They really are. And considering, like, all of our talk about, like, mummies and mm-hmm. island shrimp uh, and you're afraid of the dark, I think we should finish this episode with a little horror story. <laughs> yeah, I know, because unsurprisingly, Mammoth Cave is a park that has triggered the obsession from H.P. Lovecraft himself, one of the foremost authorities on horror and creepy fiction. He actually wrote a short story that's set in Mammoth Cave, because of course he did. When This place just is made for stuff like that. Yeah, it's called The Beast in the Cave, and it's the kind of thing that nightmares are literally made of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It honestly sounds like the plot of the movie The Descent, which I haven't seen, but I've heard a lot about, and I've read the Wikipedia page in detail because that's what <laughs> I do. I can't see horror movies because I get traumatized too severely, but I love to read Wikipedia pages and like experience the horror that way. So, so. The, here's a little teaser from that story. Yeah. It's about a man touring Mammoth Cave, who gets separated from his group somehow, and he gets lost. His torch eventually goes out, leaving him in pitch dark. Yes, this is horrifying, literally horrifying. He hears footsteps approaching, but they don't sound human, so he throws a stone into the darkness towards the sound, curious to hear what happens next. But I guess you have to read the short story for yourself. Right. Or you could just be like me and not read that story and watch a romantic comedy to erase this from my memory. Or Ready Player One. Just go go watch Ready Player One. Okay. Yeah. But really, though, like, H.P. Lovecraft really just gets it. I mean, Mammoth Cave is the most hauntingly beautiful place. You've been listening to Parklandia, a show about national parks. Parklandia is a production of iHeartRadio. Created by Matt Kerouac. 
Brad Kerouac, and Christopher Haziotis. Produced and edited by Mike Johns. Our executive producer is Christopher Haziotis. Our researcher is Jesslyn Shields. A special thanks goes out to Gabrielle Collins, Krista Waters, and the rest of the Parklandia crew. And hey, listeners, if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people like you find our show. You can keep up with us on social media as well. Check out our photos from our travels on Instagram at Parklandia Pod and join in on the conversation in our Facebook group, Parklandia Rangers. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And as always, thank you for listening. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.